0: I think what is interesting to me is that it hasn't really taken a lot of time and right now we're starting to get ready to talk about more of those tactical strategic things because everybody's in alignment, uh, we're clear, uh, we're meeting on a regular basis uh, to, to make sure that everybody's aligned with with what is important. Uh, and, and really kind of just you know that support first mentality and making sure that above all else Support is the number one priority, no matter what project you're working on, no matter
1: what, what else you're doing. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to another episode in our recurring series, Beyond the First 30 Days. In this series, we are doing a bit of where are they now by catching up with some of the CIOs we interviewed two years ago. We want to see what has changed and what has not. Today, we're visiting with Bill Serva, the CIO for Goodwill Industries of Central and Northern Arizona. When we talked with Bill in 2020, We had him look back on his early days as CIO and what it was like to be promoted from within to the CIO role. Now, five years into his role with Goodwill, we're going to take a look back on the last couple of years and how the role of CIO has changed and maybe ask Bill to do a little future thinking about what the CIO role is going to look like in the future. So Bill, welcome back to Status Go.
0: Thanks, Jeff. It's always great to talk to you. Uh,
1: I have been so looking forward to this. I, I enjoy each one of our conversations when you and I sit down and chat. And to our to our listeners, Bill and I were talking a little bit before we started uh, the recording. Uh, and we were talking about, well, we'll just let this conversation go where it wants to go, which is usually the way our conversations go anyway. For our listeners, Bill, why don't you give a little bit of your background and what brought you to where you are today?
0: Yeah, so I've been working in technology for twenty years and a bunch of different industries before this. I was in uh, food service distribution, retail grocery, and I I landed at Goodwill uh, just over twelve years ago. Last month was my twelve year anniversary, and so you know for the last seven years I've been. Uh, the the head of the IT department at Goodwill of Central and Northern Arizona. And we've gotten the opportunity to do some great things over the last couple of years. Some people will call that, we may call it digital transformation. I know we both struggle with that term, Mm -hmm. Uh, but really taking legacy systems and upgrading them uh, and getting organizations moved onto enterprise class systems that can really support, uh, you know, quick growth and scalability uh, so that organizations can, you know, continue to grow and, and generate revenue. And so, Uh, Yeah, specifically in the last two years, uh, we finished our workday implementation for HR, finance, and payroll. uh, And that's been great. And we've seen a lot of great operational efficiencies uh, through the implementation of that platform and just continuing uh, to look at what we need to do next to continue to bring the organization into the future.
1: That's awesome. and. And I have to admit, I did bad math because I said five years in your role. It's seven years. Uh, that shows you how old I'm getting because time just flies by. <laughs> well, let's let's dig into that digital transformation um, uh, and some of the things that you all have been doing there at Goodwill, because I know many of our listeners are going through some of those same things. And it really started with your approach to cloud, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it did.
1: So what did, did you set off on this path of, of cloud first or cloud focused? Uh, was it a, a written strategy or a specific strategy that you implemented or did it just more organically happen? I guess it kind of organically happened, and then it just made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you
0: know, being a nonprofit and having access to some free, pretty great technology for free gives you some opportunities to try some stuff out at a at a pretty low risk. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the first things that we did uh, when the Microsoft Office three sixty five platform was released uh, well, not right away, but after it got stable, it was a little rough mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um, but, you know, we were having some challenges with email on premises. We were running exchange and we had yeah. a couple of outages and, and, you know, my system administrator at the time, uh, was really big on having exchange on premises. Cause that's just the way that we always did it. And right. then we had a day and a half outage and I Ooh. looked at the, yeah. And then I looked at the uptime for, for, uh, you know, office 365 in the cloud for the last, you know, four quarters. And I was like, Dave, can you give me this? And Dave's like, okay, yeah, you know, okay, we'll move to the cloud. And so, really, you know, that Exchange migration was the first thing, uh, the first real big thing that we moved to the cloud. And boy, you know, it just gave us so much more storage. We had two gig email boxes before. We got fifty with Office 365. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, got, we got rid of a bunch of infrastructure. I didn't need an Exchange admin anymore. So those functions could be directed towards more uh, customer impacting things in the business. And so, you know, really seeing the success of something like that, uh, you know, that everybody needs and uses, everybody's using email, you got to do email. And, you know, we had done an on-premises email upgrade before, and I had told myself I would not do another one of these. I I mean, I'm sure you, oh, oh, (laughs) oh, yes. You have how much email? Uh, And so, you know, that was really successful. And then, so as we started looking at other technologies, it really just made sense Uh, And a lot of companies were moving more to that SaaS based model, you know, software Mm -hmm. as a service and, you know, not having to have the infrastructure on site to manage and upgrade and purchase, Uh, you know, and and then the other piece is, you know, as a nonprofit, you know, security is super important regardless of what kind of organization you are. But if you don't have a lot of money to invest in security, um, you know, I, I feel like that the SaaS applications are a way to kind of shift the security to a third party. Uh, you know, these big organizations, you know, because I can tell you Microsoft is doing a lot better securing our exchange environment than we were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I think that's kind of what it evolved out of. And then, you know, this idea, um, you know, thankfully being a little bit ahead of the curve and giving people access to their applications anywhere um, we tied them together with Okta for single sign-on so that we had um, one username and password across all applications. And then we could put in multi-factor authentication and so that made it really easy to expand to other cloud-based applications because it tied them all together. And, yeah, yeah. you know, when people started having to work from home in the beginning of 2020, uh, I was super thankful that we had done a lot of that stuff because yeah. it's so much easier. I could go home and work out of a Chrome browser for, you know, 80, 90% of the applications that we yeah, use. Yeah. And so it made that process so much easier.
1: Well, let, let's let's talk more. Uh, about, I want to dig into the Workday implementation. Did you guys do both the HR modules and the finance modules? You, you went full gamut? Yeah.
0: So after our POS implementation that, that we had done, uh, Microsoft Dynamics 365 in the cloud, um, mm-hmm. we recognized we need to do more of getting off legacy systems. And we had about a dozen different legacy applications that were doing those functions, HR, finance, payroll. Um, Some of which we had developed, some of which we had, you know, purchased that were old. Um, We even wrote our own applicant tracking system, which I would never do that again. Uh, But, you know, when you're a nonprofit that's young, and they Mm -hmm. wrote it before I started, you got people and not money. So, you know, go write it. Uh, And so, you know, really, we started looking at we called it an ERP implementation, but it was really an HR finance payroll implementation to solve all of those pain points between all of those integrations between systems that were legacy, some of which we couldn't upgrade, some of which we didn't want to invest time in. And so, you know, that process it was a really interesting process all the way from the software selection, which involved uh, meeting with the C-suite and getting from each one of them you know, what's your reasoning behind doing this? Because I had my own mm-hmm. reasons. I don't want to support this legacy hardware, legacy applications, yeah, yeah. but, you know, finance wanted something and HR wanted something else. And and so really to kind of meet with the executive team, extract that from them and get that into a um, comprehensive, here's the why behind this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the last thing I wanted to do was pick a software and implement it. And everybody'd be like, Bill, why'd you pick this? And I'm like, well, I <laughs> didn't, I didn't pick it. You you guys picked it. Yeah, yeah. So you know that was clear up front. Doing that RFP process, uh, you know, and then at the same time, really talking to that group about the importance of strong project management. You know, one of the things that's, that's that I've developed since the last time we talked, I think, it was this enterprise program management office that we have here at Goodwill of Central and Northern Arizona. And you know, when I started doing some research before we did this uh, workday implementation. And, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little scared. And this was the biggest software implementation of my entire career. And I've been doing this for a little while, at least 20 yeah, years. Yeah. And so I, you know, this is the kind of stuff that makes or breaks people's careers. And I didn't <laughs> yeah, want, I don't, and I didn't want to break it. Like, I'm like.
1: <laughs> yeah, you kind of like, you kind of like that uh, paycheck.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's nice. And so, you know, leveraging kind of the successes and also some of the struggles that we had during the point of sale implementation, talking to the executive team about, well, and then doing that research, you know, a Gartner study showed that 50% of ERP implementations fail due to ineffective project management. 50.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm like, if I can get some good project managers, I can cut my odds in half.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Well, yeah. So (laughs) my chances of success go up. So, you know, really getting that team involved in the, the process of selecting a, a really good candidate. And, you know, let, let me tell you, good project managers aren't cheap, but they are worth their weight in gold. If you mm-hmm. could find a good project manager uh, that has been there and done some of this. And so that is what we looked for. And we found somebody uh, from another organization that was looking to move on for a, a number of reasons. Uh, and then we hired her. And, and, and what was really great about that is that there were certain things that we, we we didn't know about project management, but there was a whole bunch of other things that we didn't know that we didn't know. And those oh, were the yeah, things yeah. that we needed this person for. And, you know, we had a steering committee and we had some some governance around some projects and things like that. Um, but this person was really able to come in and get a bunch of things in order in a very short period of time and then set us up for a successful you know, big software implementation. And so she and I were co-directors on this project, worked with our implementation provider to really, hey, what do you guys recommend from your, you know, years of experience doing this as far as resources, and then really kind of built the team around that. And so, you know, I think that, you know, the evolution of not just the organization and looking at technology, but the maturity of the organization and looking at people and processes, in addition to technology, and for something like this, that was just important. Mm-hmm. And those guys were critical to the success of this workday implementation. You know, I've talked to a couple of people that think you can just hire a partner to, to go do this. And I mean, you can, uh, yep. but you know, it's going to be expensive and probably not what you want at the end of it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think partners play an important role, but you know, oh, yeah. you need that inside, uh, person that can navigate internally and bring people together and, and a third party's not always able to, to, to do that. Do I remember right your, during your Workday implementation there was a change in leadership at at Goodwill or am I thinking of a different different time frame?
0: No, uh, there was a change in um, world circumstances. I mean, we started the, the Workday project in the beginning of 2020
1: and oh, we had done good timing. Yeah. And, and so, you know,
0: we're all excited biggest project in my career with this amazing kickoff meeting, biggest kickoff meeting of the organization. Uh, people were super excited, ready to go. We did what we call these foundation alignment sessions where we got, you know, experts from Workday and AVAP and us and yeah. all in a room for like eight weeks. And we developed the system and did spreadsheets and sent things in and all this great stuff and getting ready to do our, our unit testing at the end of February, beginning of March. And you know we all know what happened then. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, having to uh, completely change the strategy midstream, and go from, I mean, literally, we were talking about still doing in-person testing like two weeks before we actually started it. And we had yeah. to scrap it, because we had the stay-at-home order from our governor, we had people that couldn't travel, and so we had to move to a 100% remote model, and so that was how we did the rest of the project. And it was amazing. And and I will tell you, in some aspects, COVID did us a favor, in that uh, people have a lot less distractions when they're at home by themselves. Yeah, people yeah. aren't coming up to their desk; they're not asking them for this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and you know, we'd be on Zoom calls with people for you know eight hours a day. Where people would be doing testing and and it was just amazing how well it worked out and um i i really wonder after coming out of that project and seeing that you know we kept talking about when can we do stuff in person and we wanted to come people wanted to come out and have a big celebration and, and that never happened I i mean yeah. we went through all of 2020 and we went live on december 20th of 2020 and we were all still remote <laughs> yeah. and, and you know jeff it, w- it makes me wonder how The future, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the future in the beginning of this, how the future of these kinds of projects are going to change. Because historically, Mm -hmm. you know, even for these big cloud-based implementations, the historical thought process has been you you fly people out, you get people together in a room, you order in lunch, you're paying for people's hotels. And it's, you know, a very expensive part of the project. And, you know, while... There were still a couple of instances where it made sense for us to bring people together, and we did that. I mean, there were some meetings that we had where people were masked and socially distanced and um, to do some of the end-to-end planning that we needed to do because of the complexity of that testing. But you know, for a lot of it, we, we did it remote, and I wonder if vendors are going to push for that. Um, I, you know, I think businesses are going to have to push for vendors to come on site, yeah. and the businesses are going to have to pay for it. And I don't know. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with all that. Because if we were able to do a giant project like this almost completely remotely, um, why wouldn't we?
1: Well, I think lots of companies are realizing that a lot of the work that they thought had to be done in person can be just as effective, if not more effective, done remotely. And you're right, it cuts way down on flying consultants all over the, all over the, uh, states to, to work on these projects and, uh, it, it drives the same or better results. So I, yeah. I think we're in for a change. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, when, when you think back on the last two years, uh, and then I want to shift to where your focus is today. Um, how how is goodwill uh, you know i've got a soft spot in my heart for goodwill uh, having spent uh, several years at the organization here uh, in indiana how how are you all coming out of this pandemic and where where are things now with you
0: you know jeff our organization is really strong and you know one of the things i mean i've been in thrift retail for you know 12 years now and one of the interesting things about thrift retail is sales are usually pretty good uh, we're even better in a recession <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and in, even in tough times. And, and it's, it's interesting because we saw during the pandemic, the donations went through the roof. I think everybody did their, you know, cleaning out their house and multiple trips to the Goodwill. And mm-hmm. we had to rent trailers and extra space. And we had so many donations, uh, more donations than we'd ever had. Um, but then, you know, our sales are still really good also. And, you know, the, the budget that we had set for last year, we blew that out of the water. Uh, and you know, we, we've kind of shifted those dollars to do, we do still have some in-person, uh, services around helping people find jobs and building a resume and interviewing skills, but we've really shifted a lot of those to virtual. And we were looking to do some of that before the pandemic, because we saw that less people were coming into our career centers. And, you know, the kinds of people that we provide services to the people that don't have jobs, you know, especially the younger people weren't coming in to a career center to get services, they want to do it on their phone or from their home. And so what's been really cool is, you know, developing that mycareeradvisor.com platform where, you know, we set up this virtual career advisor that people can go and get the same kinds of services they could get in person at a career center. Now, there's some exceptions to that, like if you wanted to get a certification Uh, you know, like a Microsoft certification or some proctored exam, you've got to come into a career center still, and we'll provide that at no cost to people. Um, But, you know, it it has been, um, that's been an interesting shift as well. And then the other really exciting thing for us, uh, I don't know if you saw the news recently, but we just broke ground on our first Excel center. Uh, And I knew you were
1: getting ready. I didn't know you'd broken ground. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: we've been getting ready for two years. We were going to, that was another thing. That was something else (laughs) we were going to do in 2020. And You know, for those of you listening, you know the Excel Center was is a concept that was started by the Indianapolis Goodwill, and it's an adult high school where anybody over the age of twenty one can get a free, uh, a no cost high school education, and it's got cool things like on site childcare. And there's these life coaches that really encourage people and work with them. And, you know, in, in, the Indianapolis school has shown how this actually breaks the cycle of poverty in some families because, mm-hmm. you know, people that couldn't go to school for one reason or another, they, you know, they had a kid or somebody got sick and they had to drop out of high school. It gives them another chance. And then their kids see them going to school and how important yep. it is. And so they do more and it's been really cool. And so, yeah, it's been, it's cool that Indianapolis started this and they kind of licensed it out. They figured it out, they packaged it uh, and they work with other goodwill organizations to do this. And so our first Excel center is going to open in August of this year and we are super excited about it. Yeah. We had the groundbreaking and the governor was there uh, and it was, it was really cool. I mean, this is years in the making. And so, you know, being able to do things like that also, and people being really excited about it. uh, Mm -hmm. It's yeah.
1: That's excellent. And, and, again for our listeners the excel centers one of the interesting things about their model is this is not a ged program mm-hmm. not knocking ged programs in any way shape or form but this is a a state recognized state high school diploma and it's it's a terrific terrific program well bill as you're sitting here today in uh, nearing the end of q1 2022 when we're when we're having this conversation what are some of the things that are on your plate right now? Where's your, where's your focus?
0: So I think one of the things that we've been focusing on at the beginning of the year um, is, is really kind of getting back to basics from an operational standpoint. And while COVID was, was helpful for things like the projects that you had to be head down and do the work. um, I think that it was maybe a little bit more difficult, or maybe we took our eye off the ball of the day-to-day support a little bit. Uh. And so, you know, I, I like to think of, you know, managing an IT department as this pyramid where, you know, at the, everybody talks about you got to be strategic and you got to come up with these long-term projects and be visionary. And yeah, you do. But in the middle, there's some tactical stuff that's like some smaller short-term things that you can do. But a lot of people don't talk about that bottom of the pyramid, which is the operational, keep the lights on stuff. The, yeah. you know, the not sexy, the not exciting stuff that you just have to do. And if you're not good at that stuff, or if that stuff starts to to kind of backslide a little bit, um, the the business notices, and you lose a lot of credibility on those tactical and strategic yeah. things. And so. You know, that's been not that it's been horrible, but the support standards slid to a point where it, they weren't as good as I, I wanted them to be. And so mm-hmm. we've really had kind of a renewed focus uh, in the first couple of months of this year uh, on operational. And I'm, I'm already starting to see some of the some of the effects of that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, it's about making sure that you've got people focused on the right things, that you're stressing to the people on your team how important the operation stuff is, even if it might not be the most exciting stuff. Um, also making sure that you're following the governance processes that you have in place. We got a little sloppy around ch- change management. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of the customer facing incidents that we caused were a result of not following our processes. And so making sure that we have those meetings and that we're talking to each other about what the potential consequences are before we make any change to a production environment. And so, you know, and and I think what is interesting to me about that is that it hasn't really taken a lot of time. And we started really this refocus in January and you kind of get everybody on the page and are on the same page. And right now we're starting to get ready to talk about more of those tactical strategic Mm -hmm. things because everybody's in alignment. Uh, we're clear, uh, we're meeting on a regular basis, uh, to, to make sure that everybody's aligned with, with what is important. Uh, and, and really kind of just, you know, that support first mentality and making sure that above all else, support is the number one priority, no matter what project you're working on, no matter what, what else you're doing. And yeah. so, you know, so there's that. And then obviously there are some of the more strategic things that we're doing. We're continuing to move. Uh, actually, we're now we're not, as, not so much moving legacy systems to the cloud as, as putting in new systems that don't exist. Uh, so we're doing some things around document management this year. Uh, we are vetting some transportation management companies for doing some logistics around moving our donated product around in the stores and to our central uh, warehouse. Uh, and So those are so those are two of the, the bigger projects that that we're doing uh, for Goodwill in the upcoming. You know, that's kind of the strategic stuff that we're doing starting this year.
1: I I love that because I, I, I love that concept of the triangle about strategic, tactical, and, and operational. I I know our listeners have heard me quote my buddy Glenn Ke- Keller probably a million times, but Glenn always says no one wants to talk strategy when the printer's down, <laughs> <laughs> right? And it, and it plays to what exactly what you were oh, saying man. is that is that when things start when you take your eye off that ball. Um, your partners in the business begin to notice Um, they, they get frustrated with the level of service that that you're providing. Um, And no one wants to talk about the new strategic initiative. They want to talk about why isn't my laptop fixed or why does, why doesn't the printer print? And, but, but I also love that over the last two years, you've done this digital transformation Without really calling it digital transformation, you have focused internally with some of the work that you have been doing with Workday and, and and some of those things. But you've also done some digital transformation externally, which the I, I forget the name of the of the application that you were talking about earlier, Bill. About uh, uh, it, rather than coming into the work centers, they can do this online. But but that's awesome because you you've impacted the way that your customers interact with the organization digitally through technology as well. And, yeah. and, and I, I think that fills out that pyramid.
0: Yeah. I'll put another plug in here for mycareeradvisor.com.
1: There you uh, go. <laughs> mycareeradvisor.com. There go, you go check it out there.
0: create a profile. We'll help you do that. Do,
1: do, I, do I have to be in uh, uh, Northern or Central Arizona? You
0: don't. We do have uh, region specific uh, resources available, so the site is localized. We operate in central and northern Arizona, um, the Tucson Goodwill, uh, and there's a, a couple of other Goodwills that uh, that we operate in where there's local resources. So if you go to the page, it'll ask you where you are, and just tell it. Yep. Pick a pick a state. Yeah, and there's yeah, a few yeah. there's a few up there, uh, but you know there's some. Uh, a lot of the stuff is universal across you know, across uh, territories and, you know, those, those skills of, you know, the job skills, um, resume writing, certifications, you know, there's some universal things. And then the local stuff is really connecting people with local resources, local jobs uh, in in their region. And so that's where you see the difference. So if you go in and out and pick a couple different regions, you'll see stuff. It's a little bit different, but the core functionality is the same across the board.
1: Okay. Well, we'll be sure and put a link to it in the show notes, just, just so if you're have short-term memory problems, like I do, you'll be able to remember the name of it. Now, before we wrap up, I really want to get to something on a more personal level. Uh, I know that you have been uh, on a bit of a personal journey over the last couple of years as well. uh, And you wrote an interesting blog post. Yeah. Um, And I, I, I love the title. Uh, So the title is I'm a white guy. Why should I care about D E and I? Yep. Talk to us about that and a little bit about that journey that you've been on Bill.
0: Yeah. So, so we, as an organization, really doubled down our efforts around D E I after the murder of George Floyd. I think a lot of people saw, you know, it was very clear a lot of the problems in our society that still exist that we just don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And so our organization decided to double down and set up a DEI council and and really do more around uh the DEI stuff. And one of the things that they did was this uh for the for the senior leaderships team, so for the vice presidents and above, is we went through this um diversity training. I don't I don't even mm-hmm. know if that's what you would call it, but but really, you know, learning about the history of this country um talking about what whiteness is and and white supremacy and, and not the, you know, the knee jerk reactions that everybody has to it when you put it in the media and it becomes a soundbite, but, but really that um, the the society has been built to give certain people an advantage. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's people like me, you know, middle-aged white guy um, have had advantages in my career uh, that not everybody else has had. And, you know, don't get me wrong. If you're a white guy and you're, you're at a high level position, I'm sure you've worked hard and I'm sure you've done things to get where you are, but I can bet you that somebody that's a person of color that's in that same position worked harder than you did. And there's something wrong with that. And so I started doing a lot of reflecting and thinking about this and learning. Um, and so we have this, um, as part of the, 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 we have this week in learning segment that we do where somebody on the leadership team writes an article and sends it out to the organization. And so I decided to write this article. I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm going to write this article. You know I'm a white guy. Why should I care about DEI? And so I, I, I wrote it. Um, and I, I vetted it with a couple of people on um, the DEI council that are people of color. Um, and I talked to them and uh, I was just amazed to hear their stories. And, you know, what's sad is that, that people don't tell their stories because they don't want to make us feel uncomfortable, the, yeah, the white yeah. guys. And you know, I started to hear stories from everybody that I talked to about ways that they were discriminated against in small ways or large ways. And I took all of that and, and I, was, I, I was actually I was inspired by one of my coworkers um, who said, "You know, you should really put, put like a warning on the front of this thing, like, hey, you're going to be uncomfortable." <laughs> and, I, and I got inspired by him, and I wrote the thing down the next day. And uh, I vetted it with a couple of people and kind of got permission to send it. And um, they they didn't really edit it. Uh, They sent it out to the organization and I was a little bit surprised. And then I turned it into a blog post and um, I put it on LinkedIn and it just went nuts. And I was shocked because, you know, I'm the kind of guy once I learn something, I just assume everyone else has learned it. And so I, you know, and then I put something out. I'm like, well, hey, hey, everybody, I learned this. So you probably all know it as well. Um, but the response I got was crazy, it was like thousands of, of mm-hmm. uh, views and reposts and, and people reaching out to me, and it really opened up my, my LinkedIn network even more and he- helping yeah. to be even more passionate about DEI. Um, and I've been doing some work with Emily Bopp, who is uh, in the Indianapolis area. She's doing yeah. some stuff around yeah. DEI, and we've done this uh racial realities uh conversation with people and and it's been really eye opening as well and so you know really what i've been trying to do through this journey is figure out how to talk to white people about uh our our advantages uh and about race without turning people off because yeah, i yeah. think if i think if we could all just talk to each other and be open and real about um you know the history of this country um And, and, you know, two things that are not, you know, two contrary things can both be true. I mean, we can be, we can live in a great country that has done some horrible things. Those can both be true statements. And I think that's where people get caught up on is it's one or the other and it's complicated. And so, yeah, I, I feel very passionately about this and I'm still going through my journey of figuring out how do I best move the DEI movement forward? Because, you know, it's not fair to put all of the work on people of color because they're the ones that are discriminated against. I I mean, Mm -hmm. white guys are the ones that all have made, had to make all the changes. Like, I mean, women couldn't vote until white men said they could vote. Um, You know, black people couldn't vote until white people said they could vote. And so we have a responsibility as people that have gotten the privilege in this society to do something about it. And so I'm trying to figure out what that is, Jeff, and I'm not hundred percent sure yet, but um, I think that there's a lot of work to be done still. And um, that, I hope that we, as a country, can start to talk about uh, systemic racism in a different way that's not about sound bites and individual acts and more about conversations about personal experiences uh, and what it really means to be white or black in America.
1: yeah, yeah. And, and i I loved your your post and and i I went back and reread it again yesterday and some of the comments that it sparked. It really did. Start a conversation uh, online, and I, I I thought that was great, and and I love you, you. Didn't quite say it this way, but it it it's about being uncomfortable. It's not about feeling guilty because you're yeah. a white guy, yeah, right. Uh, um, it it's understanding and and having empathy uh, for those who may not have had the same opportunity that that you had, and. Uh, I think it's a great conversation starter, and uh, I I love that you're doing this exploration. Uh, As you and I have talked, you know, I've I've been trying to do some of the same uh, type of thing and just use this platform. We've had several uh, conversations on Status Go about this very subject for that very reason. We want to have a conversation, uh, and we want to talk about it, and I, I just thought it was great. Um, thank you for letting me bring this into this conversation uh, today uh, as well, Bill. Uh, as, as usual, when you and I start talking, time flies. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, I do want to leave our audience once again with a strong call to action. And we covered a lot of ground today, but I'd love for you to maybe identify one or two things that you. Recommend that our audience do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today.
0: Yeah, I think I think one thing, and I said this last time we talked, is to check-in with your team if you haven't. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've checked in with my team in a different way uh, since the beginning of the year. I made a point to have a conversation with every single person on my team. You know, looking at this um, support, the support challenges, uh, I've asked every single person. Uh, what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What should we continue doing? Uh, and any other thoughts that you might have. And I got some great feedback from people. I, I also got to know people on the team a little bit better. I feel like the team's a little bit stronger. Um, and it really helped me with a couple of other inputs, um, really identify some things that we could do uh, to make things better, not just from a support perspective, but for the team as a whole. Uh, you know, and, and also along with that, I think You know, we've been back in the office for uh, for a little bit. And so maybe this is a little bit easier. But, you know, going back to if you can doing some in-person team building events, uh, we've started, you know, we do these lunch and learn sessions once a month where, you know, everybody gets lunch. Everybody loves that and they get to learn something. And so somebody talks on a topic of something they're working on, uh, you know, and and that's great. And so, you know, I think those those things for sure, um, you know, you can never spend too much time with your team. Uh, And especially coming, coming through all of this. And I, and I think um, the other thing that's interesting, and I don't know if I have an answer for this one yet is, you know, um, you know, go figure out the work from home thing, because I feel like nobody's figured it out yet. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we, our organization has decided you're in the office four days, you're home one day, and the office is closed on Fridays. uh, And that works okay for us. Uh, but I've been watching very closely what some of the bigger organizations are doing. And Jeff, I, I don't know if anybody's really got this hybrid work thing quite figured out yet. Yeah. I think everybody's like, well, COVID is at a point where we can start talking about doing something different in April. And, you know, my son, his company, it's 40% at home, 60% in the office. It's like, what does that mean? Right. You, know, right. you work six hours at home and I don't know. It's yeah. so yeah, it's,
1: yeah.
0: you know, I think that's one of the other things that I'm interested to see, um, and talking with other people often about what's that mix, because for if anybody listening has any great ideas about how to hire and retain talent, I, I think I'm having some challenges there, especially yeah. for positions that are those um, system administrators in particular that are mostly behind the scenes that are not a whole lot of customer facing stuff, you know, in a lot of cases, people don't even know that they exist unless they right. come out of their cube. Yep. And so, you know, I think that's been a been a challenge as well. And I'm trying to trying to figure that out. Um, yeah. So if anybody's got any solutions out there, uh, let me know.
1: That'd, that'd be great. And if you have a solution, let me know as well. And we'll have you on the show to talk about it. Uh, but, but I think you're spot on, Bill. I think those are great, uh, recommendations for, um, our listeners to go out and do. Uh, I really want to thank you for carving out time to talk with us again. I, I know, uh, you're incredibly busy and I appreciate it every time we have a chance to talk. So thanks a lot, Bill. Uh, Jeff,
0: I appreciate it. And I, I do enjoy these conversations and, and the next time you're in Phoenix or the next time I'm in Indianapolis, we'll have to we'll have to get together for some coffee or something.
1: That sounds great. Maybe, maybe I'll come out for the grand opening of the Excel Center. Wouldn't that be fun?
0: August. It's going to be hot.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> always hot in <laughs> Phoenix. Come on. <laughs> All right. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. We'll have the show notes. We'll have links and contact information for Bill. This is Jeff Tunn for Bill Serva. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.